excited about kicking off these growth groups. Um, these things are extremely important. And so um, I would really encourage you, like, like Bruce and Taylor said today, to actually just sign up for a group. He's dragging, not dragging me down, but <laughs> my ear's like pulling off my head. <laughs> um, it's kind of cool seeing Bruce and Aaron up here, you know, promoting their group. And it reminded me of American Idol. At the end of American Idol, you know, when they bring up the person and then they're like, all right, well, vote for me. I'm number two. Call 888-IDOL-0002. <laughs> so that was what it felt like. <clears throat> Thanks, man. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your love for us, God, and thank you so much for this time we get to share together. As we open up your word and try to um, sit at your feet, God, as you are our teacher, Lord, help us to hear from you and to be able to understand the things that you have to say from the Bible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of this series on the letter... uh, Letter to the Church of Orangecrest. We're, we're taking a look at Revelation, last book of the Bible, looking at uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, which covers some future stuff that goes on. The um, book of Revelation is primarily a, a book about the future. And in Revelation 2 and 3, um, certain churches are evaluated for the way that they do their church, the things that they're pursuing, the priorities that they've set. And the idea is that Christ is walking amongst his churches, he's evaluating, he's judging them, and he gives them a grade. He says, here's how you're doing. Some of them were on track, and they were being commended. Some were in danger of being exterminated, being taken out, losing their ministry. And so we're going to look at those. And the, the issue of flexibility is what I want to look at today, how to be flexible as you're growing. And... It's tough just in life to be flexible. Um, I sometimes resist change. Uh, not usually the first person to pick up a, a habit or to pick up a trend and, and move with it forward. For example, when um, cell phones, about 10 years ago, I noticed most everyone around me were starting to buy cell phones, most of my friends. And, and I was kind of like, we are not doing this. Erica, no, we're not going to buy this cell phone thing. And I was kind of dragging my feet. And my thought was, if people need to reach me, they can do it the old-fashioned way, right? They can come find me, or they can call us on our landline phone. And, uh, but it wasn't long before I had a little cell phone, because everybody was, was taking advantage of this opportunity. I went and bought a cell phone, and then after that I got a flip phone, and then after that I got a Palm Pilot. I was one of those guys that had a little holster, and I had like a Palm Pilot here and a cell phone here. So I was able to just... Do that kind of thing. And then I realized, um, you know, they actually make devices that do all of that. So there's smartphones, and I got a smartphone at one point, and now I have that. And it does a little bit of everything. And I adjusted. You know, I flexed with the technology boom that we live in. And I know most of you here probably has done the same. I then came along social networking. Uh, social networking made most popular by MySpace, right? <clears throat> I'm a little too old for that not to seem creepy. And so Facebook came along, and everybody else that was kind of past the age bracket for MySpace jumped, not everybody, but a lot of people jumped into Facebook and sort of, you know, get connected, stay connected, kind of reconnect with 
people from your past. And it, it took me a while again, but I actually flexed with that and just decided I'm going to do that. Now I actually enjoy that, being able to see what's going on in people's lives or from all over the place, you know. And you can Twitter. I've not really done that yet, but Twittering is one of those things, I guess, where you're able to keep people up to date on your status. You just want people to know what you're doing at all moments of the day. You can just Twitter. And people can follow you around as if they're your shadow. And they can see what you're doing in your lives if, if you Twitter. <clears throat> I haven't done that yet. There's something called Foursquare. Foursquare is a site that allows you to tell people where you're at at all times. It's like a Jeep. Uh, you're not really GPS, but basically you just, based on your phone and everything, you can punch in and you can say, I'm at this location right now. I'm at this restaurant. I'm at this business. Um, I even found our church on Foursquare. And we uh, we have a mayor. I didn't know this, but the program has a mayor for each location. The person that goes there the most gets to be the mayor. So one of you is the mayor of... I didn't know we had an election, so... Uh, <clears throat> but there's a mayor to our church here, and... You know, but generally, I'm willing to kind of learn these new things and try to adopt and change and grow, and <clears throat> especially if I think that things will be helpful to our, to our lives, to my life. But the need to flex and, and grow comes up all over the place, not just with technology, but um, where we live. We live in Southern California, tons of eating options, right? Where I grew up, it was like Burger King, McDonald's, Taco Bell. That were your three eating options, but now... If I'm going out with a group of people, there's just all sorts. There's hundreds of eating options. And so sometimes when you're in a group, you've got to flex. You might not be uh, all that flexible. So that might be pretty difficult when deciding where to go with a large group of people. Not always easy, but the same is true of a church. If a church wants to, to grow and change, and you've got an outline here in your listening guide, or a listening guide in your bulletin, and the, the top line there says this, a church must stay flexible in order to reach a changing culture. We've got to stay flexible. We've got to be willing to adapt and try new things. But then the question comes up, when should we flex? And what can we really flex on? What are the issues that we should flex on? And then also, what are the boundaries for which a Christian church, if we were to flex, would be displeasing to God? Because there are certain things, if we were to just adopt everything that our culture is doing, we might flex in the wrong direction and really put God, turn God off in the sense that he would be displeased with us. And, for example, what if the government were to say, you know what, churches you can no longer meet in, in city-owned or government-owned facilities, like schools, or like community centers, like where we meet. We rent this from the city. Or, or city-owned buildings of any kind, libraries or different places where churches gather. What if they decided, you know, we're not going to do that? How would we then flex to adjust to do what we do on Sundays. What if all we could rent was um, a club, like a dance club or a bar? Uh, the bar, privately owned bar, says, you can come and meet here in the mornings. We clean up all the, the, the stains off the ground and sweep up everything from the night before from the parties. And Would we flex in that direction? What if, what if there was a building that was available, was perfect size, had all the sound already wired in, we don't, we don't have to truck anything in, but right next door is an adult entertainment venue right next door, would, would we flex? And I want to raise these kinds of questions because I think we have to ask, when do we draw the line? Are we okay with certain things? Should we always be flexible? When should we not flex at all? Let's look at Revelation chapter 2. and <clears throat> I'm going to look at two more churches here. And 
learning from their lessons and applying the lessons of these churches to our church life. Uh, if you call OCC your home, then this message right here should help us clarify why we have church membership. You probably hear us talk about our membership, and um, this should clarify why we have membership and why we hold our members accountable. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, or if you've not made OCC your home, you're, you're attending and you're checking things out, you're considering membership maybe, I hope what this will do is more fully explain why we do what we do and, and just continue to put some things together as far as our church. Um, so let's look first at the letter to the church in Pergamum. You find this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. But I want to show you some pictures. First off, here's a picture of Pergamum. And... Pergamum was built on a large hill that towered about 1,000 feet above the plains. And I think you can see this picture. Here's a rendering of this ancient city. It was like a royal city because it was high and perched up on the hills. It had this kind of royal feel, according to the writers of the day. And Pergamum, another slide here, there's this huge library. It was the home of a huge library which contained about 200,000 handwritten volumes, making this place one of the most important centers of learning and, and culture. The city saw itself kind of as a defender of, of the ancient Greek culture. And so they were, they were worshiping primarily for the Greek gods. And, but their main devotion was to the cult of uh, the emperor. So they, they had this emperor worship that went on in the city. And here's a picture of Emperor Augustus. And he was one of the emperors that uh, was living in times when this was written. And... So the people, even more than the Greek gods in Pergamum, would worship the emperor as if the emperor was God. And because of that, Pergamum was a dangerous, hostile place towards Christians because of their emperor worship. In most other Greek cities, um, there was a high respect for the emperor, and Christians were in danger the one day, in most other cities, Christians were in danger one day each year when they would worship the emperor. But in Pergamum, Christians were in danger every single day because of the honor and the worship that they gave the emperor. And so to be a Christian in this city was, uh, was not a safe thing. Like we enjoy the freedoms in our country to worship God freely. At least at this point we do. But in the beginning of the letter, here's what happens. You see this in your outline. They received praise first. They were commended. They received praise for remaining faithful under pressure. Look at the verses. It says, to the angel, and talked about that a few weeks ago, the angel there, it really is, it represents the leader of each of these churches. So to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write these things. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. That's Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. You see, they were commended for remaining true to Christ in a city that did not support Christian growth and expansion. And then there's this reference. They're, they're in this, there's this bed of, of uh, opposition. He says, in a place where Satan has his throne, where Satan lives, this is a reference likely to one of the gods that they worshipped. And there's a picture of, of that god who... He was often depicted as a snake or a person or a man who was holding a staff that had a snake intertwined with it. And he, the snake kind of represented him. And there's a demonic uh, 
connection. When Christians read about the snake, the Garden of Eden, Satan appearing in the form of a serpent. And so most people believe that this, this is why Jesus said this is Satan's throne. Or this is like Satan's, you know, Satan lives in this place because they worshipped this, this God who snakes would roam freely in the temple to worship this God. And so Jesus Christ is probably just, he's noting this is not a place that's supportive of, of, of Christ, of my ways. And so overall, this was just a really worldly city, very hostile to Christians. And they were being faithful. Even to the point of death, he, he highlights this guy Antipas in the verse, who was a leader in the church who remained faithful. And according to tradition, he was roasted to death inside of a burning brass bull by one of the emperors. And it was, you know, renounce your faith in Christ and worship the emperor. Worship me, is what he's saying, or, or we'll burn you to death inside this brass bull. So Antipas... He paid the ultimate price. He refused to compromise, refused to, to flex on his beliefs. Certain things for him, they were not negotiable. And so he, he was commended in this passage. But even with all of that, you get this warning that comes up in the next section. Even with their faithful display, they faced discipline for allowing false teaching to spread and be accepted. They allowed, they tolerated Wrong beliefs and wrong teachings to spread and pollute the church. It started, it started actually affecting the members of the church. Those who called that place and took ownership and responsibilities in the church began to buy into some wrong teaching. Look at where the passage goes. He says, nevertheless, he first commends them and then he said, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam. There are people that keep these teachings of this man named Balaam, who was an Old Testament prophet. You can read about it. And if you want to read the story, just write down Numbers, the book of Numbers, 22 through 25. That's the chapters that talk about Balaam. It goes on and says, You hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who corrupted God's people by luring them into the behavior of the godless world that they were living in. And so some people in the church in Pergamum in this day, they believed that they could attend pagan feasts because they, they bought into these wrong teachings. They believed they could attend the pagan feasts to the gods and indulge in all the worldliness that was going on at these feasts, all the immorality that was going on, and still be a part of the church without any accountability, without any discipline, without any conversation. So they could, they could do the church thing. They could walk with Christ, but at the same time, they could live in opposition to Him without any worry. Their membership there, their participation was never called into question. Verse 15, he says, Likewise, and then they had another mistake, really similar. He says, You also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We looked at this a little bit as well a couple of weeks ago. This is a group who began to teach Christians to participate in pagan orgies that would happen in the pagan temples. And so there was people, there was members of this church that were, that were crossing boundaries. The majority of the people in this church really didn't. The majority of them were faithful. But the problem and the charge against this church is that this church tolerated the groups that were participating in pagan deeds. They, they tolerated things. They refused to exercise church discipline. And because of that, they were sharing in the, in the guilt of those who were. 
So the church as a whole found themselves in judgment. Verse 16 is the remedy. He says, here's what you need to do. Repent. Repent, therefore. Repent is a word that describes a change of mind that leads us to a change of direction in the way that we do our life. Repent is to turn from the way we were thinking and then we begin to do things differently. It says, repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying, this church is in danger. And this church faced the same choice that every church faces who is allowing sin to become a widespread pattern amongst its members and says nothing of it. They were to repent. They, they, he said, turn, repent, turn away from these things. And if you repent, you'll continue to experience God's blessing. But if you refuse to repent, then you, as a church, they were going to face a terrifying reality of having Jesus Christ declare war on them together as a whole. Maintaining the path of compromise ultimately leads to death and disaster for an organization, for a church. Then moving on, there's another church he talks about, the church of Thyatira. Here's some things about them. This is a city that was um, 40 miles southeast of that previous city, Pergamum. Mostly flat country. Here's a picture. There's not much left of this ancient city. Not much remains of it. Most people in this city, they worship the sun god Apollo, one of the Greek gods. But Thyatira, one of the things it was really known for, and where it comes up in the Bible, is they were known for their numerous guilds. A guild is kind of like a labor union. Like we have unions for the iron workers and plumbers union, teachers union. We have all these different guilds. And some of you may work in jobs where you're a part of the union, possibly. And to run a business or to hold a job in these days, in this city, people needed to be a part of a guild. You could not survive. Your livelihood was tied up in being a member, a card-carrying member of the guild. And each of the guilds, they, they had a patron deity, a god that they would worship and they would hold feasts to honor those gods and they would party and they would consume all this meat that would been, had been sacrificed to those pagan deities. And they engaged in all sorts of sexual activities and it was a big party for the god. And Christians, if they, they faced the dilemma of attending those feasts because they needed... They needed to stay members of the guild, but if they were going to remain members, uh, it, it was displeasing to God. And so the way that some within the church were behaving and attending these feasts was displeasing the Lord. This was the concern that Jesus had. So here's where it goes. Initially in the letter, the church overall was commended. First off, they were commended for growing in some important virtues. Look at where the letter says. It says, to the angel, again, to the leader of the church in Thyatira, right, these are the words of the Son of God, again, this is from Jesus, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, both for God and for each other, and your faith and your service and your perseverance. You're doing, you are now doing more than you did at first. Because truth is, many of them were growing. This was, they were maturing. But then this little church, which was the smallest city of all seven of the churches in the letters to the Church of Revelation, they get the longest warning of all of them. So this church, they were warned. This is the warning. They were warned of coming judgment because they'd become tolerant. Again, the same idea. They become tolerant of false doctrine and immorality. Very similar to this other city. And I'm going to quickly move through this. This is what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. There was a lady who was a false teacher in the church. A member of their church was a false teacher who resembled an Old Testament character named Jezebel who corrupted God's people in the Old Testament. And look at what it says about this current prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. People weren't just learning about her false teaching, but they were engaging in it themselves. They were stepping into out-of-bounds behavior, and unless they stopped, they were going to face punishment. Verse 33 says, this is the judgment. I will strike her children dead. Not her biological children, really speaking of her spiritual children. Those who followed and bought into her teachings and lifestyle patterns. He's saying, there's going to be a problem. Then all the churches, the verse continues, will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, this is everyone else, those not engaging in, in those acts. He says, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Verse 25, only hold on to what you have until I come. He says, hang on, hang on, be faithful. Hang on to the, to the trustworthy patterns that you've been taught. Don't cave in to the patterns of sin and, and, not, and don't tolerate it among your church members. He's, he's saying, he's warning them. But the church in Thyatira, apparently they didn't listen. According to history, history says that by the end of the second century, there was nothing left of this church. They didn't hold on. They, they actually bought into another, a different false teaching promoted by a different character. And because of that, they, were, uh, they disappeared off the map as a church. So the question for us is, how do we grow and flex while avoiding cliffs as an organization? What are those things that if we change, if we flex to make everyone feel accepted, is there any boundaries to any of that? The environment we live in, the culture we live in, keeps changing and becoming less and less supportive of God and groups that gather to worship Him. And so this is a challenge. None of us are perfect, but God has called us, for those of us who follow Christ, He's called us to live life to please Him, to live in a way that brings Him honor in our relationships, in our beliefs, in our personal behavior. And at OCC, we really have desired to be a place where anybody and everybody can come and worship, can come and investigate a relationship with Jesus Christ at their own pace. We've had many people plug into our church that have not yet decided to follow Christ. And we're okay with that. We've actually set out to be a group of people who welcomes those people who are still in the process of discovering what it means to relate to Jesus without feeling pressure or judgment on them. We really want this to be a place where people would connect relationally and get to know others and experience God's love and not just hear it preached at them, but experience it in the way that we do church life and the way that we relate and have our community. But the New Testament implies that Christians, followers of Christ, were actually connected and contributing parts of local bodies. And so this is why we provide an opportunity to make a commitment to OCC as as a church member. And I thought I'd just highlight some of these things because I think it really connects with the issues in these two churches. For, for us, 
the members of our church um, are not the only ones who care about Jesus Christ. There are many who are not members of our church, but who are faithful attenders. They support this church. They serve. They give. They're involved in groups. They're, they follow Christ. They take Him seriously, but they've not yet committed to membership. And we're grateful. We are grateful for all of you and the contributions you make, the way you pitch in and help out and serve and give. And, and we will not... We will not come and hold you accountable. You need to know that. If you're not a member, we are not going to hold you accountable to certain things. Because um, that's not a commitment you have made. You've not asked to be held accountable in that way. Our members, though, those who are participating members, you have asked to be held accountable at a different level. And you, you've agreed upon our beliefs, our mission, and our values. And so I wanted to just talk about these things. First thing... About membership. Membership protects us from tolerating patterns of sin and preventing it from spreading. This is why we have one of the reasons that membership is so important to us, because there are, we have an opportunity to speak into each other's lives, to members' lives. The issues in these two churches in Revelations where they were tolerating sin, and so it was spreading throughout the whole place, bringing them damage. So sometimes we need someone to speak up, someone to call us out on certain issues. Look at what happened in the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 5, really quickly, says, It is actually reported, there's this church, okay? Really corrupt church. It says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you within the church, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. What that means is a man is sleeping with his stepmother. Verse 2 says, and you're proud. They were actually bragging about it. It goes on, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? See, this was a church membership issue that needed discipline. Verse 3 says, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you're, this is a, a leader Paul speaking to this church that he had built into and established and formed leadership. He's saying, verse 4, When you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. This is a pretty hard passage. He's saying, throw this member out. Put him out of the church. Remove him as a member. Revoke his card. Whatever you need to do, do not tolerate this sinful lifestyle among one of your members. Verse 6, look at where it goes. Before we react completely to this, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? See, tolerating patterns of sin is a church-wide, it's asking for a church-wide problem in those areas. If we let things go in lifestyle patterns of sin, things that are contrary to Scripture for lifestyle, it's just going to spread throughout the whole place. He later goes on to say to the same church in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, I'm going to read this and explain it in a minute. He's saying, don't associate with sexually immoral people. He's saying, I've told you not to regular, regularly relate to those who cross the line sexually. Verse 10 says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case you would have to leave this world. 
He's saying there ought to be some distance from those in the church. The people in the church should not be allowed to have these patterns of lifestyle sin. He's saying, I'm not talking about the rest of the world. Those outside the church, those who have not yet decided to follow Christ, or even those who are exploring a relationship with Him, they have not committed at the same standard. He's saying, I'm not saying separate yourself from the world, but he's saying, look at where it goes, verse 11, Now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. He's talking about a church member. But is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater. An idolater is a Christian, in this context, who worships other gods. He's saying, don't have anything to do with a member or a brother who calls himself a Christian, you know, who's immoral, who's greedy, he's an idolater or a slanderer. A slanderer is someone who's trying to smear someone else's reputation. A drunkard or a swindler, that's a cheat, someone who takes advantage of others. With such a man, do not even eat. This is a discipline. It's a church discipline issue. Verse 12 says, and this is really key here, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge the inside? Verse 13, God will judge the outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. See, what we like to do is we like to judge the world. Man, the world is horrible. They're doing all this and that. And this is what sometimes can happen in a church. They judge the outside and the people outside with, with, that are living different from God. But God's saying, I've got that covered. I'm the one who's the judge. You need to monitor the behavior of people that are inside the church that claim to be members that claim to be held accountable at a higher standard. It's our job to speak up when we see someone blow past the biblical boundary heading towards a destructive lifestyle pattern, for those of you who are members. Our commitment is this, Heart Attitude 3. I don't know if it's on the screen, but it's give and receive scriptural correction based on Hebrews 3.13, which talks about not allowing sin to reside in our hearts. Our hearts eventually... If we're not careful, our hearts, we can get duped. We, we lose the softness towards the things and the ways of God. And so we need to keep our hearts soft. And when people speak into our lives, as can happen in, amongst our membership, it allows us to respond and to change and to be challenged and to grow. So that's what correction and encouragement does as we, as we do that in a healthy, biblical way. Membership, another thing about it, it also protects us from bringing dishonor to Christ. This is another reason why we have membership. Another issue in the church of Corinth, this was, like I said, this is a really dysfunctional church. Chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality, he says. This is just one of the issues. Sex was just an issue for them, but it's a major issue in our society. All other sins, he says, a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you, is what he's saying. He lives inside of us that follow him. Who is in you, who have you you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The way we live will either bring him honor and draw others closer to him, or it will bring him dishonor and further convince people that God is not real and He doesn't make a difference in people's lives. They keep their distance from Him, from the church. We cannot take this commitment lightly. This is one of the reasons we have membership, so that we'll honor Christ. The final area that we must pay attention in order to grow in a healthy way is leadership. Leadership is screened and selected. And 
One man, he said about leadership, everything rises and falls with leadership. It affects everything. In the home, on the job, in, a, you know, in any business, in any organizations, including a church, leadership can affect the direction of the whole organization. So here at OCC, we screen and we select leaders as those who have demonstrated a pattern of applying God's Word over time. Now, our leaders are not the only ones who apply Scripture and fit these criteria, but they have to have qualified in these areas. They demonstrate a pattern of applying God's Word. Look at Ezra 7.10. For Ezra, here's a man. Look at the pattern of his life. He was a man who had dem- he devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. First thing he did was he studied the law of the Lord. Second thing was he observed the law of the Lord. He did it. And then third, he, he taught it, teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. It's easy to want to teach, but look at the order. First he studied, then he applied, then he was teaching. There's study, do, teach. Study, do, teach. So leaders need to be people who do that. Another thing is leaders also need to have a... They need to have developed a firm grip on, of the truth of Scripture. This has to do with false teaching and being able to stay on track doctrinally. Look at the instructions to this leader. I want to look mainly at verse 15. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And he cites these two fellows. Verse 18 says, Who have wandered, these two guys have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So he's saying the leaders must not lead people astray towards false doctrine, false teaching, or matters of opinion or preference. Sometimes we get all fired up about an issue that's not in Scripture or the Scripture is it's kind of silent about. Gray areas, about the way we raise kids, about the way we handle education, about, about birth control methods, about... Uh, there's just all sorts of issues that are gray areas in Scripture that you have to be careful that you don't jump up on that bandwagon and begin to promote as if it's Scripture. And so leaders are those who have been screened in that area. The last thing is they aggressively follow previous leaders. All leaders need to be good followers. That cannot be congruent. Look at this, Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Every leader needs to have, their previous leaders need to be able to stamp of approval and say, yeah, they were, they were aggressively following the direction when they were in, in my team, in my group, under some, a project that I was working with them on. That's really, really important to be an aggressive follower. The, we've hit on a bunch of different issues, but those kinds of things are what these churches were being judged over. They were not asking people to be accountable to the commitment that they had made publicly. And so we have, a, we have an opportunity and really a responsibility as a church to, 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 stay, to keep our lives and the lives of our members in line with what God has said. And so I hope that if you've been thinking about membership, I hope that would give a little clarity as to why we do that. Because the issue is it spreads. That's that whole, the yeast spreads through a whole batch of dough. If we promote the right things and we protect the right things, the good stuff spreads throughout the whole place. If we allow the bad things to, to stay, 
um, believe me, that will just cause all sorts of problems for all of us. So let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we've hit on some really, really heavy issues today as we've looked very seriously at your word. And God, the reason it's such a serious matter is because these churches that were failing in those things, they no longer exist. God, we don't want to be a church that is wiped off the map. We don't want to be a place that was a great memory and that lasted a few years and then was done with. Lord, would you help us to hold true to the commitments we've made before you, the commitment to walk with you, to live life in a way that is pleasing to you, Lord, and brings you honor, and then help us to be um, involved in each other's lives in a way that would encourage, and at even times correct, Lord, behavior and patterns that might come up that would prevent us from growing. Lord, protect us as a community, as a church. Protect those especially who are amongst us who are investigating what it means to know you and walk with you and are trying to take steps deeper in their relationship with you. Would you protect them, Lord, as they've they've decided to make this a priority and to come and check this out? Lord, I pray that more and more you would just bring things to light, Lord, that things would come to light in their minds and really that they would sense that you're drawing them into deeper commitment. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. And if you would take out that white card,